Welcome to Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Three, two, one, and we are back. Julie, it is September the 18th, a wonderful Friday, um, and another week of coaching and helping folks build their real estate businesses despite the changing market is behind us. And I was uh, gathering up some intel for our Sunday podcast, and if you guys mm-hmm. aren't listening to our Sunday podcast, it is uh, turning out to be probably one of our most popular podcasts that we do every week based on the number of listeners and the feedback we get. And I think the reason is, is because we are not talking about real estate for the most part on Sunday. We're just talking about things that interest us. Um, but grabbing a lot of headlines, or at least things I'm focused on, is, uh, mostly from financial um, you know, news, is a lot of people are projecting that, you know, and these are all people, when you're reading headlines, for example, that they're projecting some kind of precipitous drop in housing and all those types of things, you always kind of like wonder what their motivation is. And if you dig around a little bit, you can almost always find that they have some competing interests where they benefit if, you know, what they're predicting were to happen. So they're just always, I think in the financial world, it's called talking from your own book or something. I don't remember what it is. But the gist of it is, is that I'm finding a lot of people that are starting to spin up stories about some sort of doomy and gloomy housing future for 2021 if all the stimulus were to stop and if the forbearances were to stop, if the moratoriums were to stop, if the, if the, if the, right? So these, and you guys are going to see these articles coming up too. And the problem is, is a lot of these articles, what happens is they get written, then they sort of, no one questions the motivation of the person writing the article. And then the next thing you know, everyone's saying it, or at least then other people start picking up little tidbits from the article, even though really at the end of the day, it was propaganda. So here's the, I think the period at the end of the sentence of all the, if the stimulation or if the stimulus and the, you know, essentially the forbearances and all that stuff were to happen, or here's what's going to happen. You know, let's put a period at the end of the sentence and here it is. None of it's going to end. It's not going to stop. <laughs> the government's not going to stop doing that. it. No, the government's not going to stop doing it. There is no period at the end of that sentence ever. There wasn't. It started in 2007 um, in various forms where the government has been essentially pumping liquidity, as they say, into the economy. And they picked it up with a whole bunch of trillions of dollars that started back in March of 2020, obviously. And there's no reason to believe that that is going to stop no matter who gets elected to be the president. So don't worry about it. It's my it's my takeaway. Matter of fact, the Fed came out today or yesterday, and again he reiterated that he's going to they're going to suggest and put in place a long term like ridiculously low um, interest rate policy, which will directly affect mortgage rates. So you're looking at realistically three to five years of I don't know. You could call it artificially low, but who cares? Low interest rates which will obviously have a direct effect, that in supply of homes on um, the housing market. Now, as far as supply goes, the other thing that we pay attention uh, to are building starts, housing starts that happen all over the country. And the ho- all the builders, and, and again, there's a, what is it called, Julie? I forget what the actual report's called. Oh, the builders. It's confidence, the, builder, the confidence yes, index. Yes, the builder yeah. confidence index. Right. And so they're coming out and saying that they've not been this confident since, I think it was 2009 or something. Well, duh, yeah. right? And it was even significantly higher with that matrix, that rating that they do, even over that. It yeah. It's like way better even than that. Sure. So that's incredible. Right. So if you are, you know, if you're in real estate and you're residentially, you know, inclined, right? 
great and you're doing a lot of single family resales, you might want to cozy up some of your local builders. Maybe you, um, you know, start if there's no local, smaller, mid-range, mid-sized builders and there's just big ones that you have in your community, as we've suggested to you guys throughout the years, definitely get to know the build reps. There's so many opportunities for you guys to make money no matter what direction the market's going. And here's the other thing you got to remember. Even so when the economy changes, when there's a big shift in you know, just like what's taking place now, the money still flows. It just flows to different people. That's the way to think of it. Otherwise, you're going to start having scarcity-minded thinking, which gets you nowhere. So just remember that. The money still flows. It just flows to different people. So in a market like this, is it going to flow to you? Are you, the, you know, if you're doing what you were doing before in the past seller's market to uh, produce real estate transactions, are you confident, 100% confident that what you're doing now is going to work in this new market? And, and I'll give you a suggestion. Start with the premise that nothing that worked in the seller's market is going to work in this new market. Start with the premise that everything that you are doing for lead generation is faulty because the rules are changing so fast. And I mean those rules in not in a ruley sense, but in an actual you know rhetorical sense, basically. So if you think like that, that's going to force you to, uh, frankly, shock yourself out of complacency, hopefully, and then you could start taking seriously the opportunities that actually are presenting themselves. And so the, in our opinion, the fads that are going to be coming to an end were all the fads that were popular during the, really the past 12 years. And those had to do with mostly buying leads. Anything that's passive in, in real estate um, as you know, being something that people believe in it's going to run its course. And you see that happening. I'll tell you where we see it are you guys, our podcast listeners, our coaching clients. We're getting more and more younger folks who, if you would think there would be a generation of people that would be inclined to want to buy leads and believe in social networking and all that as a way of generating business, you'd think it'd be the millennials. But we're getting so many millennial types that are joining our um, coaching program because I think they know the fallacy in believing that social networking is actually going to do anything to generate business. You know, it's, it's, so it's fascinating. And here are, you know, older people like Julie and I are, you know, I don't know. Are we older? Are we are we middle-aged? What the hell are know. we now? <laughs> I'll go with middle for now. Okay, good. That means if we're middle-aged, we're playing on living to over 100. That works, That's right? That's okay. Okay, good. That's good. <laughs> I hope we're not doing this when we're over 100. <laughs> no, that would be bad. Be bad. <laughs> uh, but yeah. yeah, so, you know, the, the trends that carried um, the market in the past market when it was a seller's market will not work for the most part in this market. And so you got to open your mind to those different opportunities and don't be scared and intimidated and fearful of the change. Because remember this, guys, and you know, the greatest in the greatest periods of change in the history of history, right, has been when the greatest fortunes have been made. And if you think back, even if you're not a you know, history nerd like Julie and I are, and you think back just to the history that you're familiar with. Just say you can remember clearly the fortunes that have been made maybe in the past 20 or 30 years. Who are they? They're tech people, right? So what was that from? That was from, a, you know, essentially a revolution in tech. And if you think back, well, what was before that? There was industrial revolution and there's all these other, you know, massive revolutions that have happened. And that's when the greatest fortunes have always been made. We're experiencing a revolution of sorts, an evolution. I think truthfully, it's a revolution that's happening in the brokerage industry with eXp Realty. That's a revolution. That's going to forever change this, you know, how real estate's done, frankly, how agents and brokers do business, how consumers expect to do business with agents and brokers, exactly like you saw happen with Amazon, exactly like what you ha saw happen with all these other. I mean, imagine going to, um, right now, guys, imagine going to Blockbuster. You don't even know what Blockbuster is, right? It's just Netflix. You just order something up on your phone and you can watch a movie. I mean, so that's what I mean. The greatest fortunes have always been made during the greatest times of change. And we're in one of those greatest times of change now. 
So force yourself to be a little uncomfortable, be okay with being uncomfortable, and then you know, you'll know you start seeing opportunity everywhere. As soon as you're willing, just maybe just for a few moments, you're willing to set aside the belief that you know you don't have to change because you do. And that's what our Sunday podcast is all about. We always like to talk with you guys about these new big things that you know we're anticipating reading about and looking forward to. So as I was rambling, did you have any interesting thoughts? <laughs> well, I mean, you, everything that you mentioned is all you know, goes back to revolution, evolution, willingness to change, flexibility, you know, not being stuck in your ways. And I think a lot of this is driven by the what's happening in the market with the low interest rates and the, you know, very low inventory. It is a market of urgency. And if you are not directly talking to somebody, and I've had stories like this from coaching clients where, you know what, buyers who are serious will absolutely go around you and go direct to the listing agent. They'll door knock the property owner. We've had coaching clients that they didn't lose the listing to another agent. They lost it because somebody wanted the house and door knocked the seller and the seller sold it before they could list well, it. You get, better be on the phone. Let's, so right <laughs> you know? now, I'm looking over Julie's shoulder yeah. and on her big ass max 21 inch <laughs> screen, yeah. there are li- home listings that are in this area in North Carolina where she and I are thinking about buying um, you know, some property. And this, it's in this Murphy, what is it, Murphy, Murphy. And, and what's the other area called? Uh, Topton or, you know, yeah, some it's, of those areas. You know, a cabin, basically, mm-hmm. a cabin in the woods, the exact opposite of where we live. We live by the uh, by the beach here in Puerto in Rico. Caribbean. So you, you were, ta- we're looking for <laughs> totally something. Totally different. Totally different, right. So we're looking in these listings and, uh, you know, it's the whole brokered by versus, feet spo- you know, sponsored by thing. Yeah. In other words, buyer's agents trying to buy listing or buy leads off these listings and roller, you know, the whole thing, the whole buying buyer lead scam basically is really what it is scamming the listing agent if you ask me mm-hmm. and also scamming the seller because it's not like the buyer's agent's going to know as much about the house as the listing mm-hmm. agent i can tell you right now julie and i do not call those buyer's agents nope no. but i know but I, and i'll tell you what was funny i called uh, the broker of one we we're looking at today she totally understood that and because i mean my first question is are you actually the listing agent right her answer was great she said not only am i the listing agent i am very familiar with the property and you are talking to the right person. Exactly. I mean, but, but the point is, I was impressed that she did that and that she was on it. And she understood what I was asking and was direct back versus, you know, if you call the sponsored buy or whatever, featured buy, they've probably, they probably don't even know what you're talking about. Nope. They're, they're looking it up in the MLS while you're talking to them. Well, but so that's the point of what I was trying yeah. to make before with regards to how these technological ideas, how they run their course. So the idea of buying buyer leads, and you and I are, let's say, not, you know, we're smart consumers, especially about sure. real estate, right? Mm-hmm. And so we know what's going on there. The little bait and switch, the buyer's agent trying to, you know, be positioned to look like the listing agent, the consumer not knowing the difference, calling the wrong person, yeah. ending up in the hands of, the wrong, of somebody that's not going to be as knowledgeable as the listing agent. These are all realities. This is how life works. Yep. But Julie and I aren't alone in knowing that that's a little bait and switchery that's going on there. And so consumers are now doing exactly what Julie and I are doing. Uh, because obviously they don't want to be dealing with, they don't want to waste their time in dealing with somebody who doesn't know what the hell they're talking about with regards to that property. I'm not saying anything bad about the agent in particular, just in general, it doesn't make sense that you'd want to deal with anyone other than the listing agent. Look, they don't actually represent the property. Right, exactly. You they don't know anything anybody. about it. Right. <laughs> like it doesn't make any sense. And we're, we're not doing it to try to save commission or we're not doing it trying to be controversial. No, no, no. We just don't want to waste time. We want accurate information. Right. And so, you know, think about that, guys. That is... If what we're doing is not uncommon, which I happen to know it's not because our listing agents tell us that all the time, 
you're going to see an absolute you know, conclusion to a vast majority of consumers who are going to basically ever be tempted to click on anything other than the listing agent's direct information. And there are, there are now websites that are coming up where you basically can get, you know, it's difficult sometimes to find out who the actual listing agent is, but you're starting to see technologies that are making it so that in essence, you're when you're the listing agent, even without paying to have the fact that you're the listing agent included on the listing, which is even ridiculous that you have to pay that yeah. fee in some cases, you're going to start seeing technology that's going to, uh, I think, think in essence, uh, surpass the big portals so that smart consumers are going to be able to go directly to listing agents. That's what's going to happen. These are the evolutionary things. And it's funny too, it's not driven by greed or it's not driven by you know listing agents wanting to screw the buyer's agents or all these other sort of you know religious wars that seem to go on inside the halls of real estate. It's happening because consumers want a better experience. And, you know, so these are all the kind of interesting things that when you guys are thinking about, if you've normalized basically having to buy buyer leads and, and you normalize never having to be a proactive lead generator, if that's just essentially the only real estate world you've ever known, you got to understand that is going to quickly come to an end. It just is. And if you want to have a, you know, evergreen, everlasting, profitable real estate business, you don't have a choice in this market other than to pursue being a listing agent. You just, you just don't. And there are enough listings out there for everybody. There really are, especially with the new builders, you know, building things because the new builders are going to be building in probably mostly the move up price range. They're not going to be doing a lot of first time buyer stuff because it's not that profitable, which means it's going to shake a bunch of resale stuff loose too. So you're going to see an inevitable increase in inventory around the country at the same time that we have these ridiculously low interest rates. So yes, there's a massive bifurcation that's happening in the economy on a whole. You're going to see people that you know, are going to be left out of being able to, you know, take advantage of the incredible opportunities they're going to be uh, buying real estate. They're not, there's going to be consumers that are not going to have steady enough employment that are going to be able to take advantage of, you know, buying something with, you know, two and a half percent loan for 30 years. That's the bifurcation that Julie and I've been warning you guys about for years that we started seeing and happen in states and now it's going to happen nationwide. There's not really anything anybody can do about that because that's just unfortunately what happens sometimes that when the economy changes, the people that suffer the most are the people that are, you know, least able to, you know, to survive the suffering. So we have to be conscientious of that too, especially in our industry. So, you know, look, the bottom line is, guys, is be optimistic about your ability to, you know, help people in this new market. But in order for you to earn the right to help them, you have to have the skill set. And what this always comes back down to is your willingness to do what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. That's the essence of how you get your stripes. That's the essence of how you actually win in this and in any market. So um, back to where we were talking about this yep, week. Good way to, to uh, tie that down because we've been talking about proactive lead generation, otherwise known as prospecting. Shh, don't say prospecting. No, no, don't tell them. They're not allowed to say that. No, no, no. We're, we're not allowed to prospect. People hate the word prospecting. They do. It's, so it's, it's, been, it's proactive lead generation, it's all right? right? So point number 12, and I, you know what? I use this point so much in the premier coaching and here's how it goes. Have appointment obsession, not contactitis. Yep. The number of contacts you make matters less than the number of qualified appointments you set. So here's what happens when, when agents and brokers come to terms with the fact that they do have to proactively lead generate if they want to have a predictable, duplicatable business. All right, let's say I've accepted that fact. Now I've got to make myself get on the phone. All right, so I've got to have some rules and I'm going to say, you know what, no matter what, I'm going to make 20 contacts a day. And I make it all about contacts and I make myself feel really good because I got through my contacts, 
right? But who cares if you don't set appointments? You have to be appointment obsessed versus getting contactitis and, and making it all about the numbers you hit. Well, that goes back to, again, doing what you don't want to do, mm-hmm. okay? And you guys remember this. We're going to say this every single day because it's the essence of success. Doing what you don't want to do, let's say making, doing the, you know, proactive prospecting, you know, that's what you don't want to do. I totally understand. Um, and we never liked prospecting either. Don't get me wrong here. Yeah. Julie and I didn't like doing it, but we knew we had to do it. So doing what we don't want to do, what you don't want to do, when you don't want to do it. So when you don't want to do it is probably pretty much any time if we're being honest when it comes to you know proactively generation mm-hmm. but the last part is what julie's talking about it's at the highest level so it's doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level now the highest level part means that it's not just making the contact and a contact by you know harris rules definition of contact is where you it's a basically a conversation with a decision making adult about a, real estate about real estate right so it's not a voicemail not a text it's not an sms it's not a drip it's not a, you know, whatever, whatever. It's a conversation with a decision-making adult. If you really want to know then, if you're doing it at the highest level, here's the next litmus test. And remember this and write this down. Are you putting yourself in the position to hear the word no? That's how you ultimately know whether you're doing something at the highest level. Can you possibly experience rejection because of the fact that you're actually doing your job? You're actually using our scripts. You're actually pre-qualifying with the intent of setting an appointment. You're actually rooting out the motivation. You know, you're doing your job. You're moving someone towards the result that they you know, desire to have, which is the sale of a house in such a way that, you know, you will be the one that ends up listing it. Yes, that's exactly it. So why do people crank through the contacts? Because there are certain types of contact that are virtually conflict-free. You're never going to hear no, like just listed, just sold calls, right? And yeah, you can get through a ton of those. So, you know, I've heard of people doing a hundred of those a day. Okay. So what if it doesn't give you any appointments, right? So you can lower the number of contacts it takes for you to set a qualified appointment by calling people who actually want to sell versus random conflict-free contacts. Does that make sense? Right. And when I, so when I have a coaching client who wants to, you know, basically jump in the deep end and learn how to prospect quick. We don't spend a lot of time talking about anything other than how many appointments they set, mm-hmm. because otherwise you're going to train your brain to get the wrong result. And it is fascinating to me how some agents will see it as a badge of honor to say, I made this many dials or I made this many contacts. Who cares? Ultimately, it doesn't matter. And I'll tell you where this also, so that type of thinking is very similar to the types of agents that love to brag about their massive CRMs and their drip campaigns. So if you have a big bunch of people that you're dripping on, if you have a big CRM, if you have a big bunch of leads that you're doing long-term lead follow-up on, you're basically really bad at pre-qualifying and setting appointments. Your goal is not to create a long-term lead for lead follow-up. Your goal is to look for the people that want to buy or sell, want to transact within 90 days or less, which means you're going to have to be more intense with your contacting, which means you're going to have to ask better, more directed questions, which means you're going to have to, in some cases, make a lot more actual contacts with folks. But that's how you win in this game. And ultimately, what your goal is, and you can get there, all of you can, especially in a changing market like this, especially when your competition is so many agents with, frankly, not even low skills, but no skills. They've just, you know, TikToked in centers of influence and past clients their way into some business, right? So competing against agents like that, who are largely the ones that are going to have these listings expiring on them, it's not difficult because they don't know what to do or what to say in a changing market. No one's even telling them it's changing. You know, they're not probably listening to Julie and I. They didn't buy our book. They're not in our coaching programs. You guys are. So you know what we're telling you is true. 
But when you contact those sellers and you're competing against these other agents with low skills or no skills, and you know what to say and how to say it, you will have an unfair advantage instantaneously because the seller is going to sense the fact that you actually are a professional. You know how to solve their problem. Absolutely. So number 13 on our prospecting rules, uh, rule number 13, don't sell with blah, diddy, blah, diddy, blah, or blah, blah, blah. Okay. Some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. Sell with powerful scripted questions that lead to setting an appointment. The goal is not to razzle dazzle the prospect or to overcome their objections while you're on the phone. The goal is to pre-qualify the prospect and set the appointment. Some of you have lost sight of this. And I think that a lot of the you know, I don't necessarily want to say they're skillless, but let's just say up and coming agents that are making the effort. A lot of them, when they get nervous on the phone, they go into fire hose mode, right? I'm going to talk to you about statistics and trends and I'm going to razzle dazzle you with all of my market knowledge, all the while forgetting to ask you what your motivation is and then close for an appointment, Julie, assuming we, it's appropriate. Can we circle around the sure. idea of this? Say, if you're on the phone right now, and you're basically, you've got that, you've got enough sense and maybe enough experience and maybe you're using our script so you know what questions to ask and what order to ask them, right? And you know if you were to just basically stay focused, make yourself a little uncomfortable, ask questions that might result in hearing the word no, you get an appointment. But how many of you basically hit the eject button and just convince yourself that you're just going to put this person in a drip campaign opposed to actually closing the appointment? How many of you back off right when you could have actually had the appointment? It's virtually all of you. You've got to break through that that sort of resistance of your fear of hearing the word no. You've got to break through that as fast as possible and stop having this you know fantasy that long-term drip campaigns are actually going to get that person to want to call you back and do business with you because here's what you're doing. So you've called them up. You've you know had this conversation with them. You've maybe bonded a little bit with them. Hopefully not too much because that's goofy. And you're, you know, you now put them in your drip campaign. You now know that the seller's motivated. Maybe it was actually a good listing lead, but you were afraid because you were fearful of rejection to actually close the appointment. Well, guess what? Someone else is going to contact that seller right after you. This is how you have to convince yourself to make yourself uncomfortable out of fear of loss, right? Maybe this does or doesn't happen, but this is a good way to motivate yourself. Someone's going to contact them right after you, maybe even use the exact same script, right? Maybe they're going to say the exact same thing, but they're not going to be fearful of the closing of the appointment. And they're actually going to get the appointment and get the listing. And you're going to see that go for sale. And then you're going to rationalize the loss. You're going to say, I didn't get that listing because whoever they listed it with must have told them a higher price, or they must have known them, or they had a social contact or whatever, whatever. You're going to basically rationalize the fact that you backed off right when you could have actually had that appointment. And then you're going to continue on that pattern because after all, somebody told you you needed a big robust CRM with a big robust drip campaign. And that ultimately is going to be your eject button every time you face anything that remotely resembles um, you know, your fear of hearing no. That is the highest level part of doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do it at the highest level. So my people ask us, it's one of the top 10 questions we get. Which CRM should I use? The traditional answer is whichever one you'll use. But my new answer is what are you planning on using it for? And if you say drip campaign, I say they don't exist. Those are illegal. I say it jokingly because mm -hmm. the point is, is I don't want you to actually even think like that. I want you to think in terms of closing for appointments because that's going to get you success quicker and you're going to stop procrastinating actually having to learn how to swim in the deeper water. Yes. Point number 14, call the most motivated leads first during your prospecting sessions. 
Prospect expireds, old expireds, even older expireds for sale by owners. I love for sale by owners because they're handing you their phone number, the thing you guys like to complain the most about. Right, that we can't get. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. Builders, flippers, developers, centers of influence, past clients, investors, open house leads. You know, you've got your lead follow-up, of course, professional centers of influence. But notice that I started the list with people who have said, you know, I've got a house to sell. And I'm willing to list it. That would be expireds and older expireds. Older expireds are such a honey hole right now because you can probably get them their price, assuming you talk to them. So that's point number 14, call the most motivated first. Well, why do you do that? Don't you want to warm up on 200 contacts first? <laughs> no, you call people who have houses to sell because then you won't have to call as many people, which you hate doing, <laughs> right? Julie, why do you so. think, I mean, at the core of it, all of us basically, yeah. uh, we don't like rejection. And to differing sure. levels, depending on how thick your calluses are, you're going to, you know, feel it. And it's, it's going to feel like some sort of, you know, it's just all emotional yeah, garbage. Yeah, feel checky. Right. But I, it's fascinating to me how much is on the other side. It Look, it always hurts a little bit, but it's fascinating to me how much of life and opportunity in life is never experienced because people are fearful of like of hearing the word no or being rejected. What have you guys ever actually been introspective about what it means or like what happens when you feel rejected? Is, is somebody, you know, are you physically harmed, you know? What's going on when somebody says no to you? Why is it that that's such a insufferable experience to have hearing the word no? It is ego. of course it's ego. Yeah. But have you ever been introspective about it? Now, guys, look to see all the things that you're spending your money on. You want to know where your profit goes in your real estate business? It's going to all the things that you've done to nerf up your, your real estate business so you never actually have to you know, psychologically experience uh, rejection. That's the reason that you do the CRMs. That's the reason that you think centers of influence and past clients are going to be the Hail Mary pass. That's the reason you're buying leads. All of these businesses have crept up since 2007 and, you know, basically and to make it so that you will be able to easily rationalize nerfing up your ever so precious ego so you never actually have to move past your fear of rejection. What life are you, what are, what, what are the unintended consequences of you allowing that to happen? How else is that perpetuated in your life? Because now you've become somebody that doesn't even, you don't even have a callus to the word no. The, the whole idea of fear now has become, or fear of rejection has become something in many of your minds that you will never move past unless you stop, unless you psychologically accept the fact that it's ruining your, your potentiality. Allowing people to try to placate or feed into your, you know, your irrational fear of fear, right, is essentially what it is. And buying into it and, and building a business around, you know, defending yourself from being rejected, that is ultimately uh, creating exactly what you think you are trying to avoid, which is rejection. I know that's counterintuitive, but I want you to think about it. Yeah. Well, you know, what's funny is uh, everything you said was very emotional. I look at it also from a logical standpoint, which is if somebody, let's say you're calling choose your category, expireds for sale by owners, builders, whatever. And they say no to you in whatever way that is, okay? They're just saying no, they're not interested in buying and selling with you. Why do people make it so about them? How are you rejected personally when somebody says, no, I'm not ready to buy or sell right now? Because they've never confronted it before, yes, that's why. that's right. And that brings me to uh, something else that we have posted in Premiere, which we need to talk about. Uh, and it's from a TED Talk. This is in our mindset section. And it was, I can't remember the guy's name because it's not right in front of me, but it was uh, an entrepreneur who was going through some of these, you know, confronting the rejection. He said he had felt 
really fearful of conflict and rejection uh, since he was about six years old when he had like, it was like a piano competition that he didn't do well at. And he, he helped, really held on to that and made it a thing. And he thought, no, I want to be a really great business owner. I want to confront this and stop being such a wuss about talking to people. So he put himself through rejection camp. He invented, you know, he came up with all of these different things where uh, it was built in conflict, right? So I can't remember what all of the different experiments were. I remember what you said. It was great, though. He he put himself to the point where he was getting rejected, like, by strangers. Yes. Publicly to his face. And because he wanted to move, he wanted to basically prove to himself. So, guys, in the essence of this is there's two types of, uh, like, it's, it's all this is ego based, right? So there's two types of fear. And this is, you know, psychological stuff. And Julie and I are not doctors or physicians, but this is the essence of it. There's psychological fear and there's real fear. Billions and billions of dollars are spent every year trying to help people wade through the psychological fear, which is all literally in your head. If you think about all the the pharmaceutical industry creates all these um, drugs that they're supposed to be mood-enhancing drugs. All they are is anti-fear drugs. And what the doctors, for the most part, and you guys can research this yourself, have determined is a lot of the anti-fear drugs don't actually work. And by anti-fear drugs, I'm talking about things like Prozac and things like that. Again, research this yourself. We're certainly not experts at any of this. And if you're on Prozac and a doctor's told you to, don't just listen to Tim and Julie because we don't know what we're talking about. But the takeaway is the billions of dollars that's spent on mindset, the billions of dollars that's spent on people trying to find their big why, the billions of you know lives that are wasted every single year and you know all the potential because people think that somehow that the fear is something that they can psychologically, you know, is they can, uh, what would they call it, nerf it up, or they can drug it out, or they can somehow suppress it. Suppress basically. it. And But so here's the reality of it. So there's two kinds of fear. There's psychological fear and there's real fear, but the way it manifests in your body is the exact same way. So psycholo- real fear, let's just deal with that. Most of us in our lifetimes, I mean, when was the last time you had real fear, an experience of real fear? A couple of times driving, I suppose. Would yeah, be. well, we're in Puerto Rico. You know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, a couple of close calls where, yes, I for a second I was quite Yeah, fearful. Puerto Ricans drive like yeah. bumper cars at a, fair, a, a yeah. local you know, country There are fair. no rules. There are no rules. Spontaneous signs, double lanes. Road all signs, kinds of exactly. Stuff you've never seen before. Yeah, that's true. I will go with you on I, that I point. would say that's pretty real fear. My, my experiences in that regard have mostly been uh, amusement, canning, can't believe that they actually thought that that was a safe uh, driving maneuver. <laughs> exactly. But I mean, if you asked me the last time I actually yeah. can remember a real fear, um, it would, I can't even tell you. Yeah, you and, don't go through that very much. Well, but even nobody does. That's, yeah. that's what no, I'm trying to tell re- you. In reality, you don't really that much. Right. No, I, I honestly, you know, after watching Zoe, I think kids go through a lot more of that and you learn and you well, stop getting into But in those people positions. have different tolerances to it. For sure. You, you have a lower tolerance to psychological fear that's true. than I do. That's true. Or the, even than your daughter does. Definitely. So you you experience psychological yeah. fear, and most of the podcast listeners the same. I would agree. With virtually no trigger. Yeah, doesn't yeah. take much. That's your just natural recollection, mm-hmm. right? So uh, so there's two types of fears. I want you guys to think about this. There's psychological fears and there's real fear. Real fear is something that basically is a uh, fight or flight, right? You're familiar with that. It's something that's developed that became through you know, the evolution of man to make it so that we basically can, uh, you know, run from danger, right? So, you know, I'll try to manifest some psychological fear by giving you an example of physical fear and you guys will understand and I'll make the point, okay? 
So you're walking on the road, you're walking in some busy street, and you see some cab that, you know, is a, you're, and you're walking with somebody you love, and they're on the street side, and you're on the sidewalk side, and all of a sudden you see some car that's basically a cab or somebody else that's not paying attention, they're about to pop the curb, and they're going to hit your, you know, your, your friend, your kid, your whatever, right? You're going, that is real fear. Or maybe the, the fear is you are the one that's about to get hit by the car. You're the person. I'll tell you where we, I experienced some fear most, and I just remembered it. You mm-hmm. and I are walking in the jungle here in Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. And right beside me, right as we are walking past this massive palm tree, mm-hmm. a, a coconut fell. Yes, within, I remember that. That like, was real fear. That was and, okay, spontaneous real fear. I had yes. to think about it. That, that was an example. Yeah. And that <laughs> this actually well, happened. And, and let's color that a little bit. We're not talking about a coconut falling from like a 12-foot tree. These no. things are massive. They're like 300 feet in the air. I don't know about 300. So well, to, maybe. I mean, they're, they're up huge. there, right? So yeah. by the time a coconut hits, it's like a cannonball. And these things are so hard. When they fall from these trees, they don't break. <laughs> Okay. It's crazy. Right. You do not want to be hit by one of those. So there's a jungle near our house. It's on the property. And we walk through this jungle um, usually two or three times a week. Now we've obviously learned to walk more in the center of the path. <laughs> After hearing those. <laughs> yeah. But the, I remember we were walking and all of a sudden I actually felt the turbulence of the air as this thing came coming down. And, and I, I remember I pushed Julie. I pushed myself and, I, and Julie was walking beside me. I pushed us both out of the way. That was my body's natural response to something that was genuinely potentially harmful. That was flight. Get, that, get that away from flight. the coconut. Okay, you guys understand what we're saying here? That's funny. We'll have to remember that. <laughs> but I'd already forgotten about it, which is really <laughs> no. funny. Now, but here's the thing. The psychological reaction, the chemicals that were released in my body when I was experiencing that, it was not something I was thinking about. I wasn't thinking that I need to move my noggin and Julie's noggin out of the way of the, you know, incoming grenade. We were I wasn't thinking that. My body just reacted. Yeah. It just reacted. It went into flight mode as Julie just said. And a little bit of fight mode too, right? That was something that I did not consciously decide these are the steps I need to make not to have Julie and I's head smashed by this incoming uh, coconut. All right, everyone can understand that. But here's the thing. The psychological fear that you feel that holds you back from actually accomplishing anything of real significance in your life, the exact same chemical reaction happens in your body. So what I was feeling is that coconut was you know, basically just passing my head. Well, that feeling was the same type of feeling that I felt, you know, back when I originally started prospecting maybe 25, 30 years ago. And people have studied this. Scientists have studied this and they have proven that it's actually chemically true. It's the same thing. Yes, that that the actual physical and chemical reaction is basically identical. Right. So when you're thinking about picking up the phone, your body is reacting out of fear just the same as mine did to avoid that, you know, incoming projectile. It's the exact same chemical reaction. We are not that complicated. we are just, you know, elegant apes, basically. And so we don't have multiple, uh, you know, fear pathways. There's not different, you know, operating systems that trigger different fear-based reactions. Now, unless you're a Delta Force operator or you're a Navy SEAL or you're a fighter jet pilot, if you're somebody that's been trained to um, essentially recognize, you're going to still, man, the fear, the psychological fear is always going to be there. But unless you've actually trained yourself to recognize it and not react to it, that you're always going to basically be psychologically easily manipulated. And what I mean by that, when you read headlines, they're trying to trigger your fear response. They're trying to trigger that irrational response that you have to something that you, you know, your body is reacting as if that coconut was headed to your head. You guys get it? And so when you're thinking about doing things that might experience rejection or hearing the word no, Julie, that is definitely audible. When you're experiencing that, you're, you're going to have uh, the same reaction as if you are basically under physical threat.
so how do you get past that? You understand and accept what I said is true. There's real fear and then there's psychological fear. The way it manifests in your body is the exact same way. The difference is, is that you can actually stop the psychological fear. You just have to train yourself to do it. And I'll tell you how to do it. And it's not complicated, believe it or not. Nothing we tell you guys to do is complicated. You just have to recognize it the first when it manifests. The first time you can actually recognize it when it manifests, after you recognize it one time, then what's going to happen is you're going to consciously be aware of it forever. It's not going to sneak in under the radar anymore. It's not in stealth mode like it has been in your entire life. And I'll tell you, for me, when I'm feeling like sometimes I'll come across, usually it's a, I hardly ever even experience it anymore in such a way that I can even... Well, I'll tell you traditionally, when I was younger, I'm 50, right? So when I was younger, if I came across, like my ego would react to other people's ego, right? And mostly men. So my ego would react to other men's egos. And maybe it would be in a sales experience, a sales environment, usually in a business environment. And then I wouldn't necessarily be in clear control of what happened next. So as soon as that chemical reaction started happening in my body, what happened after that was fight or flight. It was one of those two things. I was not consciously aware of what was going on. My body was just my sort of, you know, my lizard brain, if you want to call it that, the circadian brain. Um, our good, we have a great coaching client uh, named, his first name is actually Legrand, and he was a uh, fighter pilot. He flew F-18s. And he said, he calls that, the, what they call that? The uh, STEM brain. He said in the military, in the Marines, when he was learning to fly F-18s, single seat, uh, you know, jet, he and basically said they call it your stem brain. So you have to move past your stem brain's natural reaction to the point where you actually can control it. And I helped him recognize in himself how he was allowing his stem brain to prevent him from actually doing the real work of real estate, which is having conversations that might actually result in hearing the word no. And as soon as he recognized, remember this guy was a badass F-18 pilot, okay? But he himself was having to, he didn't, you know, he didn't draw the correlation between the fact that he'd learned to be a fire pilot and that same fear that he had to move past, which was real fear, I think we'll agree, right? Yeah. <laughs> right? Of dying. That's, for normal people, That's yes. real fear, you know? Flying in three dimensions, yeah. real fear. You know, flying yeah. in, you know, what, was, seven, eight Gs, real fear. That's that's a real thing, though. I've seen that with other coaching clients, too, especially from military guys, especially at that level. Uh, other pilots, people who have been really successful in sports yep. and other things. And it, it, you they just have to be reminded. That's right. And I, I appreciate that he uh, was sharing that it's called the STEM brain. Yep. I once had a, a coaching client that was a nationally ranked tennis star. Okay. She was like number two for a while. And she had been struggling in real estate. And I said, why are you making real estate so different than tennis? And she said, well, what do you mean? And I asked, what did what made you great at tennis? I practiced. I learned how to deal with conflict. Let's I moved edit it that forward, though, right? You know, but let's you know edit it so, no. so people see the point. Yes. She was, I'm sure, very nervous before tennis matches. Before right. Before having to compete. But she learned how to manage it. Right. Legrand was fearful naturally before hopping in his, you know, rocket ship, basically, right. and going out there and doing things that might result in him actually being shot down or having, you know, something horrible happen. But worked through it at a high right. level. Same idea. Same idea. And so because it is literally the same in your brain and your physio physiology and chemically, you can actually figure out how to get around that. Now, I think that people who maybe don't have those comparisons struggle with this a little bit more and have to, because well, this is their first time but, of having to but manage truthfully it. i didn't you no. did you had performance yeah. you were a professional musician and you had to work your way through it but i made it about i made it basically the same process 
saying affirmations, right. being prepared. You know, it's like a system that you work out. So you had a more elegant solution since you had a classical music background and you mm -hmm. actually had to, you know, you, yeah. you had created a system so that sure. when you sat on stage or you were in a recording studio, you act, you're, when you were playing classical yep. music, whatever, right? Mm -hmm. The way I overcame it and the way most of you guys will have to overcome it, and there is no overcoming it in the sense you don't feel it anymore. That's is, true. Is I just did what I didn't want to do when I didn't want to do it at the highest level. The action cures the anxiety. Exactly. And that's the, that's the, you know, that's the prescription for virtually all of you because you're not going to be a fighter pilot. You're not going to be a nat, you know, a classical musician like Julie. You're not going to, you know, be on, exactly. You're not yeah. going to be playing tennis where you're going to be in front of cameras and whatnot. You're not going to most likely ever have any opportunity to be at that level. I mean, I didn't, right? But you can still work through it by consciously being aware of it and where it felt, where I always felt it. And I, st this is where I look for it. It's like I'm, I'm poking myself in my torso right now. Mm -hmm. Where would you describe this? Center mass, basically. Yeah, like near, near your heart where you feel stuff. So where yeah. I feel it is when I feel it's a feeling of like almost having too much caffeine, <laughs> which is a normal feeling this for me. This is your personal early warning sign. This is for me, right? Yeah. So when I'm in an environment where I can start feeling sort of right in my my center mass, really, when I can start feeling this, uh, it's, it's this almost like this anxious feeling, but it happens in a millisecond. And what that is, is a, and I've never studied this physiologically, but I've read tons about it, obviously, is that's where I start to manage. People say you feel it in your gut. That's what essentially what I'm describing. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if I did the work, I'd find out that that's actually where your, your body starts manifesting the fight or flight, the energy to actually go into fight or flight mode. I wouldn't be surprised at all if that's where it starts after it's triggered in the mind. But the reality of it is, is once I feel that feeling, I pay attention to it. I'm omnipresent for that feeling because I can't stop it and neither can you. That's my psychological fear kicking in and I know if I don't stop it, on the other side of it is gonna be a reaction I don't want. So for example, I know oftentimes when I'm feeling like I have gotten into the habit, the older I get, the more I realize that my first reaction is, uh, and my intuitive reaction at this point in my life is almost always right, but I still give myself breathing room if it's a bigger decision, right? Yes. Because yeah, right. I have to check. I have to check myself because I still don't trust that my ego, my Initial cycle, reaction. Right. I still right. right. Exactly. That's one of our points in the Harris Rules book about negotiating. How is, about that? Is don't immediately respond. Yeah. And that's not you know anything other than check yourself that you're responding appropriately because it could be your stem brain, your lizard brain, your you know your ego reaction. And over time, you as you get better and better at managing that, you can start trusting yourself more and more. But I, you know, I see agents do that all the time to each other. What's so? What's on the other side of not working your way through this, guys? Is and, and it's not just with regards. What's a smaller life? Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. It's what we were talking about right before the podcast. Yeah, it's actually, a smaller life. It's a smaller life. You'll start building up anxiety to get on planes. You'll start building up anxiety about being around people that don't speak English, people that have different religions, different anything. You'll start building up uh, anxiety around changes in the economy, changes in just all everything and anything that your ego can spout out and react to is going to make your world smaller and smaller and smaller and eventually you're going to live underneath your staircase even if you can afford one. But that's what happens. If you don't stop it, if you don't realize that your natural normal reaction can't be stopped, there's no there's no dream boarding or big lying or motivating. It is what it is. It's always, it's always going to happen. If you talk to any high level special forces military guy, they're always going to tell you that they are consciously aware of the fact, exactly what I just described to you, that they're always going to have that physical reaction. It's going to always be a psychological fear-based response to anything, but their training, their brunt, their you know, their blunt force training basically 
overcomes and gives them a course of action that's supposed to happen after they feel it. They feel it and they take the action anyway. That's what we do at our coaching company. Yes, and you know the seven Ps saying that's also in the book and in coaching came from the military. So that's uh, proper previous planning prevents pitifully poor performance. They actually have a different word for pitifully, but you get the idea. Piss poor. Yes. Yes. That's a military saying. And right. I have used that oftentimes. I get travel anxiety and I think, okay, why am I being nervous about that? Because I think something's going to be screwed up. I did a ticket wrong. I'm going to be at the wrong place at the wrong time. And so, your, and your mind goes to criticism. Oh, yeah, I don't because I screwed you're, that up. I didn't. Right. You know. So I'm, where's I'm, that come from? I'm going from music. And where's that come from? Basically, people being too critical yeah. of you and your well, little I girl. Mean, and in music, you know, there's a right note and a wrong note, so it's pretty right. black and white. But I remember the seven Ps right. because it helps me defeat that anxiety. Because when I prepare and I look at all of our stuff and I plan it out. Proper previous planning prevents pitifully poor performance. Just as we coach agents, don't show up to a listing appointment where you haven't actually reviewed the comps and you're just guessing. Don't show up to any appointment where you haven't pre-qualified them. You're on the fast track to something going sideways, right? But, That's so, just stupid. So when you were a musician, when you did screw up a note and it was in front of a concert and there were you know, yeah. hundreds if not thousands of people listening and you did screw something yeah. up, I just looked at your face. You're getting anxiety. <laughs> I know. I am. I have bad dreams about it to this day. Uh, I, I'm sure. Okay. But you knew to play through it, didn't you? Absolutely. There's yep. no other choice because if you didn't, it would get worse. Right. And so what you had to learn yeah. how to do was yeah. make the mistake, not think about it, play the next note, it. the next note, the next note. Yeah. Take the steps that come after that because if you let that cycle if you let your psychological fear start to you know it sound off ass. and you, you're going to be it terrible does. and you're going to ruin does. the whole concert and you know what i also enjoy watching you think this is totally nerding out but you can actually see i especially see this when we watch the olympics right and particularly in gymnastics and in uh ice skating right performance ice skating when because those are places that are obvious even though you're not a gymnast you can tell when somebody screws up they fall off the balance beam they don't stick the landing whatever so you can tell the strength of that athlete's mindset by what they do next, okay? Do they let it ruin their whole performance? And you've seen that watching ice skaters and gymnasts, right? Where one mistake becomes a completely blown performance. I want to but the stronger ones will power through it and still get their good score if they're gymnastics or still end up doing a great performance. So you just said a word that's been bastardized, manipulated, and um, monetized. You said the word mindset. Yeah. Okay, so mindset, guys, is not, it's it, the essence of having a strong mindset is exactly what we've been describing to you on this podcast. It's not a bunch of other deeply rooted pseudoscience schemes no. to somehow magically, you know, have the power of the universe make it so that you no longer have fear. You've got to understand. Yes. It's you're not always, made up stuff. It's actual skill. That's you. Right. You cannot uh, ever not have a life where you don't have that sense of psychological fear. The difference is you having the skill set and then the confidence that comes knowing that even if you do experience the psychological fear, you can work through it. That's what we're describing. Yeah. But, but you have to do that repetitively. You can't just do it once and figure you've got it covered. And if you never learn the skill set, you're never going to get no. there. So you're always basically going to be living in fear of the next fear. That's what happens to yep. your lives. Do you guys get it? There's zero chance that if you were even listening, you know, 75% with 75% of intensity, if you didn't under, that you didn't understand what you we were saying, you intuitively know what we're saying is true. But how many of you guys not right now are feeling fear that what we're saying is true? Because then that puts you in a position of actually having to be responsible for moving past your fear. Isn't it interesting? It. That's right. That's the problem. You guys get it? Mm -hmm. Look, I don't even want to, this is a high point. It is, and you have a Zoom call in three minutes, so. Oh, shit, I do. <laughs> I do. <laughs> I forgot, totally forgot. 
Dan, I didn't realize that we talked that long. Hey, good. Thank you, Julie. So listen, podcast listeners, if you ever need me for anything, if you ever need Julie for for anything, text me directly at 512-758-0206. We are always looking for great people to join our EXP family. You know, EXP Realty and Julie and I, we aligned a couple years ago, and it has been one of the best professional decisions we've ever made. Hey, set aside your fear of changing brokerages. Set aside your fear of basically what comes next in your business and personal life, and let's actually have a conversation. If you're serious about moving forward with EXP, text me directly at 512-758-0206, 512-758-0206. And so text me directly. If you are um, just EXP curious, you're just getting started, just text the word EXP to 31996. Text the word EXP to 31996. In the meantime, you guys have a fantastic day. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris.